Southside Edge Baptists, except for the. Um, it's true. It's true. You're good. Yeah, and the Abdul Bassins are going to sit right there, right? No, no, no. They're going to sit. No. Uh, so today we're going to talk about promoting healthy relationships with others, helping your child promote healthy relationships with others. We're going to look at peer relationships. We're going to look at adult relationships. We're going to look at relational basics. Um, because the reality is that your child was created for relationship. I'll say it again. Your child was created for relationship. God has made us as relational beings. He himself is a relational being. From eternity past, the Trinity has been a union of love where each member of the Trinity has loved the other with perfect and uh, sacrificial love. And so uh, God in himself is relational. When he created the universe, he created us He wanted to be in relationship with one another. He wanted us to be in relationship with him and with one another. That's why he didn't just make Adam. He made Adam in relation to himself. And then Eve, who's both in relationship to Adam and to himself. So right from the get-go, the goal of God's creation has been right relationships. Your child is a relational being. Your child was created to be in relationship. We also know this because the first and second great commandments are what? First great commandment, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, I shall love my neighbor as myself. Right? The, the essence of what God requires of me is for me to love him supremely and to love my neighbor as myself, which means that my whole duty before, the, before God can be summarized in relational language which means it's so critical that we teach our children how to navigate relationships of all kinds. Uh, As you see in the handout, I've said that there are two relational trajectories. When you think about how relationships work, there are two uh, paths going in opposite directions which reflect eternal realities. There is the path of other love. When I say other love, I mean the path of, uh, that represents loving God and loving my neighbor. If my love is focused outward, if my love is focused rightly in loving God and loving my neighbor, what is the trajectory of that? Of that uh, yeah, yeah, where does that trajectory lead? Well, it leads, and we've read it a couple times, but it's so good, I want to read it again. It leads to what Jesus prays in John 17. In John 17, he is just about to die. He prays to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the ones that were with him in the room, his disciples that were with him in the room. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, the Father and the Son mutually indwell one another in love. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, 
meaning eventually in heaven, where I am to see my glory that you have given me before, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I mean, that's just, that's just a whole, whole, tangled, wonderful mess of relationships between the Father and the Son and their redeemed people. This is the trajectory for the person who is rightly relating to one another, rightly relating to God, and rightly relating to one another. An eternity of love. An eternity of beautiful, wonderful relationship with God and with his people. The other relational trajectory... The other relational trajectory is if my love is not focused on others, if it's focused on myself, which is how we all start out. We all naturally begin with self-love instead of other love as the reigning power in our lives. What is the trajectory? Where does the trajectory of self-love end? It ends in increasingly and over time more and more being given to love of self, which turns one inward rather than outward turns one inward, desiring only its own good, uh, becoming incredibly uh, self-oriented, and the trajectory to that leads to hell. And what does hell look like relationally? Hell is the ultimate in alienation, right? Hell is complete alienation from God and complete relational alienation from anyone else. There is no friendship in hell. There is no camaraderie in hell. You know, you sometimes hear people joke, well, I'd rather be in hell with my friends. That is a lie. That's a lie. There will be no friendship in hell. There will be no love in hell. There will be nothing but souls eternally, uh, eternally turning in on themselves, devouring themselves in their loneliness and in their exile from all good relationships. That is the relational trajectory that begins when we do not turn from self-love to love for others. The relation, if you think about and meditate on the relational implications for eternal judgment, it's horrific. And that is where we're headed unless God arrests us, saves us, and puts us on a path to other love. Again, loving him, loving one another. Any questions so far? Okay, so navigating relationships is a learned behavior. It does not come naturally. Navigating relationships is learned behavior, which means that we must train our children in relational navigation, relational savvy, So, because they are not going to develop it just instinctually. Naturally, they're going to be... In, inclined towards self-love. So what are some impediments to ha- developing healthy relationships, especially right now? We've got actually an odd particular moment going on in history that makes it, well, there's all sorts of challenges and impediments to our children developing healthy relationships. What are some of them? I've listed them for you, uh, and you may have others. If you want to throw out another one, you can shout it out too. But again, first off, our child's natural self-orientation that is the big mama of them all because that's theirs by, uh, because of their uh, 
status as fallen creatures. They come into the world already alienated from God and from one another. So think about Titus 3. We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Right? That's the state of a person outside of Christ. If you look at then the deeds of the flesh from Galatians 5, 5? Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh, most of those are relational sins. So the natural state of the heart that's outside of Christ is relational alienation. That's your kid's natural bent, which means it has to be corrected by the gospel and by our training. So they already have a strike against them um, because of, of their fallen state. Uh, then additionally, our culture in its present form uh, gives the opportunity for the endless consumption of technology. So screens are everywhere and our children are in front of them. Um, and we're going to talk, uh, we're going to spend a whole session on technology in a couple weeks, so I'm not going to linger here. But suffice it to say, screens which can, in some limited context, promote connection promote relational connection, often uh, are teaching, are training uh, us and our children uh, in unhealthy relational ways and promoting self-orientation, right? If I'm spending six hours a day connected to watching the videos I want to watch, uh, looking at the websites I want to look at, uh, putting out my opinions on the social media thing of my choice, then that's going to promote uh, this self-oriented um, orientation rather than promoting other love. So that's just a reality of our world. Screens are everywhere. We have to, we're responsible to manage our children's use of them as we are responsible to be self-controlled in our own use of them. More on that later. We also have a culture that exalts self-expression, right? Rather than list, do we have a listening culture? Huh? No. We have a, a, a culture characterized by the dialogue of the deaf, where people lob grenade, communicational grenades at one another across chasms, and shut up. Um, and they, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, you know, it's not a listening culture. It's a speaking culture. It's a culture that, that says, express yourself. And if you've listened to any children's television program in the last X number of years, you know that the greatest value is expressing myself, being true to myself. Um, it's all about me. It's all about me getting to express my point of view and making sure my voice is heard. I think it's actually unfortunate that we're now in a culture where ch child activists are sent out into the world to promote whatever cause they happen to you know, be passionate about. And rather than their parents shepherding them and saying, your time will come, and pretty much sit down and shut up. Uh, <laughs> we, we send the children out into the world to be the activists, and we think that they are then are the sum of all wisdom, and instead of giving preference and deference to the aged, we give preference and, um, and uh, undue respect, I think, to youth, and let them just express whatever their point of view is. I think that's highly dangerous. Um, so we have a culture that, that, that is going to teach your child all the wrong things about communication. Uh, special challenges related to the pandemic. We obviously have a situation where for nearly a year, uh, our children were 
were isolated to an unprecedented degree, and that has had uh, it has it will probably will probably see long-lasting impacts from that, um, and it's just it's just more time in front. It's it's just compounding more time in front of screens, less time with people, less time with grandparents, less time with uh, less time building community, and more time uh, essentially uh, isolated. Uh, that has particular implications for. Um, it's just a particular challenge. It's just, it's just a reality. We have to accept it, and then we have to figure out how we're going to respond to it as parents. Um, do, do you guys have any other, any, other, any other things that are impediments to developing healthy relationships for our kids? Helping our kids develop healthy relationships? Anything else come to mind? Boy, I was comprehensive, I guess. Well, I just think what you see, what you do. I, so, I'm... How am I using my technology? How am I using my phone, my iPad? How much time do I spend on that? Yeah. That yeah, so again, it's all about modeling. How am I using, uh, how am I promoting healthy relationships in my own life, right? Okay, so it's time to go back to kindergarten. We need to just look at some relational basics. And uh, this is for us, but it's also for us for them, right? We're teaching them relational basics uh, and we may need a refresher ourselves. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on, actually we're going to spend uh, probably a good 20 minutes on uh, relational basics. The basics of healthy, godly relationships are fundamentally that they're others-oriented, which means our interest is in the other rather than ourselves. We actually have to be interested in others rather than only interested in promoting ourselves. So there just has to be a, a fundamental interest in other people if we're going to have healthy relationships, which means that we want to understand as much or more as we want to be understood. Now, this is highly key in marriage. Uh, it's, it's key in, in uh, individual relationships. If, if, I want to, if I want a good relationship with my wife, which is more important for me to strive for? For me to understand her or for me to make sure she understands me? Which is the better if I have to choose one? For me to understand her. Because guess what? If she has that same orientation, if she's seeking primarily to understand me, then we're in a kind of a lovely war to make sure that the other is understood well. Right? So fundamentally, interest in other people, uh, which is getting ourselves out from navel-gazing, which again is our natural bent, and looking at the other and actually seeking to relate. So a desire and an interest in other people. Is that limited to extroverts? No. Can an introvert effectively be interested and, uh, and pursue good relational connection? Yes, absolutely. Just does it in different ways. So this is not about a personality type. This is about a, a heart orientation to be interested in the other. Okay, so that's it's kind of prerequisite. We have to teach our kids that they are not the center of the... My parents did an excellent job of this. I'm so grateful for this. They fundamentally taught me that I was not the center of the universe. That the gospel was the, that the, the gospel and Christ's mission was the center of the universe, which meant our household was about other people, and not primarily about us. So, without any 
lack of love being given towards us that was appropriate, we were fundamentally always taught that it was about other people. And we were going to be about other people, and which meant we weren't going to be all about serving ourselves. Model that for your children. Teach that to your children, please. All right. Um, godly communication is the second big heading in this thing, um, and there's lots of little subpoints in it. Godly communication. How do we communicate in a godly way? I wanted to start out with the concept of welcoming others. Romans 15, 5 through 7, I love it. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, some particular application of this idea that we ought to be welcoming and, and, and in that particular context, he's talking about accepting one another's differences. Um, uh, accepting one another's even um, uh, preferences about eating and drinking and things like that. But the, 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 the more deep thing is we welcome one another to the glory of God. So, I think that there's some basic skills to teach our kids about how to welcome other people. And I think that this, again, doesn't deal with their personality types. You may have kids that are more shy. You may have kids that are more outgoing. This is a a matter of knowing your child and helping them apply these principles in the way that's appropriate to them. So, welcoming others. I think it's important to teach our kids to greet people. I think it's important to teach our kids to greet people. Acknowledging others' presence so that when they come into the presence of another person, either when they are, getting, they are coming into a room or someone else comes into a room. If, if, if my kids are in a room and they're doing something and grandma comes in the room, where do I want their head to go? Up. I want them to be more concerned about welcoming grandma than in continuing. Now, does that mean, am I, a, am I fastidious about this? Of course not. There's, it, you know, it all depends. But if, if, some, if guests come into your home, are, your, are you letting your kids be wherever they are and have nothing to say to the guest? I, I just don't think that's healthy. I just don't think your kids need to be about the program that the family's about. If there's people coming to your home, then they need to be engaged in that same process. Now, admittedly, a number of things I'm going to say today are Parkerology, not Scripture. I'm going to give you my best take on how to apply scriptural principles, but how are you going to teach your children to be other-centered if they're not actually engaging with the relational program that's going on in the particular moment? Make sense? So, so dads, teach your sons, Parkerology, teach your sons to shake a man's hand and look them in the eye. You know, or shake their hands, and if they're not quite ready, you know, move that ball forward wherever it is, so that they can relate to people and adult, to peers and adults, in a way that welcomes the other and makes them feel comfortable. Make sense? And do they need to crush their hands like my father used to do? No, no. Okay. Any pushback on that idea, Sonia? I'm trying to. um, So, can you remind me where you're getting that from the gospel? Like, um, just that, like, 
you want to be other-centered because the gospel is not about you. It's about other people. And that's teaching them to love people. Is that where we're going with it? Yes. You're so this is an application of love that I greet another person, acknowledging their humanness, acknowledging their importance. So that means that they are, there is another person in the room, and I have a responsibility to relate to them well. Well, the beginning of that just naturally comes from social greeting. So now how you do that, you know, our, it, it, we're not in a Maori culture, so they don't need to go up and touch noses to one another. Right? There's also, you know, we're not in France, so we're not going to teach them to go, you know, it's, it, there's cultural appropriation, but the principle behind it is I am acknowledging the other person as valued. I'm valuing the other person's presence. So, like, even you would even say, and again, this is your opinion, but, like, if the kids are upstairs playing, and my sister comes over, like, kids, come down, auntie's here, come say hello, or, like, they can continue to just play upstairs. It all depends. Did they yeah. see auntie yesterday, and are they going to see her tomorrow, and is she coming in to borrow a dozen eggs? You know, maybe not. But if this is like, but, you know, when, when um, uh, so, uh, so Damon, Damon and his kids came over the other, the other, was that one? Two nights ago. Two nights ago. Well, when they arrived at the door, our guests had arrived at the door. We come to greet our guests. Again, do you have to do it exactly the way I do it? No. But we're trying to, I want to push you to get to be thinking about, are my kids interested in others, or are they only interested in doing their own thing and pursuing their own agenda? So, acknowledging presence. I mean, golly, we're not all that far from a time when, when men and boys did what when a woman entered the room? They stood. I'm not saying that culturally that that's where we need to go back to. I'm not saying it would be a bad thing, but it was a, it was, it was a way of showing honor, right? So outdo, what's the scriptural principle? Outdo one another in showing honor. Can we show too much honor to one another? No. No. So you want your children to learn to honor people, especially the aged Right? Especially the elderly. I love Leviticus 19.32. The KGV is really fun. You shall stand up before the hoary-headed. No, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Do your children know Dave and Barb Airy? I'm just going to, you know, they're not here, so I can pick on them. Do they know Dave and Barb Airy, and do they, would they greet them with honor? Would they seek to hold a door for them? Would they seek to do things that are appropriate to saying, I am, I am the, oh gosh, how do you, the thing that comes to mind is social inferior. That's not what I mean. But, but they are, the, the, they are, it's directional. They are not obligated to honor me if I'm five. I'm obligated to honor them. Because they have, the, they have the blessing of years, the blessing of wisdom, right? So, again, do you have, Figure out how this is going to work in your own house, but get it going in this direction rather than teaching your kids that because they're young and they're the up-and-coming generation that they're to be catered to. Yes? actually spending time with people that aren't just your kids' friends. Yes. It's so easy to be like, well, we're not going to invite those people over because they don't have kids our kids' ages. And that's just so backwards in the body of Christ. We... We teach them then to only like people that are like them instead of teaching them to appreciate people from all stages of life. 
Yes, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But it helps us. It, it, it's another incentive for us to, to fight our own clicky tendencies. Heather. I think along that line is here at church. Are we greeting new people? Or are we sitting just our friends? Are we going up to those that we haven't seen in a while that are older than us and just modeling that for our kids? <clears throat> yeah. So it's, it's getting outside our own little, this, this all is about us, us modeling for them that we love indiscriminately within the body of Christ. We have a preferential love for God's people. Within God's people, we don't have preferential love. Does that make sense? Right? What's the preference? It's the, it's the body. But within the body, there's not preference. So, Okay. So, warm greetings, teaching warm greetings, teaching them to acknowledge the presence of others, uh, teaching them to recognize those to whom honors due and give that appropriate honor. Figure it out. Talk to, talk to, your, talk to people to figure out what that's going to be. But your children need to, be, need to be moving in that direction. Can they do it before they're believers? Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, welcoming others. Uh, another would be listening, right? Teaching the basic principles of listening. This is something that can be taught. Uh, you know, how to teach each individual principle, I'm not going to go into necessarily. But how do you actively listen? You actively listen with questions. You actively listen with, I didn't have this on here, with eye contact. You, act, you, you, you look at the other person. To make so that you're communicating with them that they so if your child's talking with you you can you can legitimately train them to look at you when you're talking with them and that is a general orientation for how to to talk um, to to someone else so you're assuming the best of other people right BJ talked about that a couple weeks ago you're assuming that uh, so if you hear something. And it sounds like something that you didn't you didn't particularly like and rubbed you the wrong way. You uh, you don't assume the worst. You assume another. What what is that a signal of? It's a signal that another conversation probably has to be had, right? So you're verifying your understanding of the situation. Because what's more important for you to understand them or for them to have perfectly communicated to you? Well, we're not going to perfectly communicate with one another. So what happens when imperfect communication happens? So just imagine a military, um, you know, you know brr, crackle over the radio, you know, bombard, brr, 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 pass. Well, what should they do? They heard, brr, 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 brr. what do they need to do? Well, let's find the nearest pass and bombard it. No, no, it's not necessarily, you know, dispatch's fault that the communication came in poorly. It's my responsibility to make sure that I heard correctly that I understood correctly. So I ask a clarifying question. Do I know how that happens in the middle of a bombardment? I don't. You, can, you, know, you guys who, who do can, can tell me. But you're verifying, you're verifying your understanding that you've understood someone correctly rather than assuming. If you just assume that you absolutely for a fact know what they meant and you go back to them and you say, well, you said this. Thus, I'm mad. <laughs> right? And if you teach your kid to that, well, well, Daddy, he said this. You know, th- now, now you've got work to do. Right? You've had a report. You don't have a clear understanding of the situation, and they may not have a clear understanding of the situation. You're, you, the, the, the goal is to work it out relationally, communicationally, so that understanding is actually achieved. Uh, so, question asking, eye contact, 
assuming the best, verifying understanding. I will re refer you, this you know, shameless plug, uh, uh, on the back with re recommended resources, you'll see a sermon that I preached uh, on keys to unity in the local church, godly communication. You can find that sermon, and I expand on that topic, these topics there, um, if you want to go look at that up. Um, so, godly listening, godly speech. So, uh, Ephesians 4 talks about edifying speech. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, for building up. So how are we training our children to, for life-giving speech, not death-dealing speech, right? Proverbs, life and death is in the power of the tongue, right? So your children have the ability to give, to give out life or to deal out death with their words. So I put that under a couple of headings. Kind speech, respectful speech, true speech, and encouraging speech. So, respectful, kind, respectful, true, and encouraging. All of this, by the way, of course, is modeled. And it's modeled especially as they watch you interact with who? Your spouse. Dad, as they watch you speak to mom, are they seeing kind, respectful, true, and encouraging speech? Mom? As they hear you speak to dad, are they seeing kind, respectful, true, encouraging speech? And when you speak about your spouse to them. All right. Kind speech. Obviously, the biggest training ground for this is, is siblings. So if your kid's an only child, you know, modify this for your own uh, situation. But modeling, or not, sorry, uh, teaching them to speak kindly to siblings is the biggest training ground. Do you allow... Just because they're kids, do you allow their, your kids to rubbish one another without addressing it? That's, that, in my opinion, that's a problem. They need to be trained in kind speech. They need to understand the distinction between good-natured teasing, which can build rapport and can build intimacy, right? You guys know this, right? Now, it, it's a little bit more among men than among women, right? We guys can beat each other up a little bit more, and we understand how it's building rapport and intimacy. Ladies, you have your own versions of that. And your kids need... Why is that funny? Um, where... <laughs> you take each other out to tea, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Say what? Well, you, you know what I mean? Oh, I know. I know a great situation where a guy thought, a newly married man thought it would be great fun to throw a bucket of cold water on his wife while she was in the shower. And he... Th and he thought that was hilarious. And he thought that was going to build rapport and, and, uh, and connections. She, she, didn't think, she didn't think so. Okay, so, but your child needs to actually learn to make distinctions between good-natured teasing and make a distinction between that and unkindness, right? So if I'm being teased, I need to realize and think the best of the person that's teasing me and, under, and seek to understand what's being communicated there. If I'm the one teasing, I need to realize that there's a limit, right? And I don't necessarily get to be the judge of where that limit is, right? So um, uh, these, are, these are good things. We need to realize that, that I mean, I'm just talking about teasing because it happens so often with our kids, right? Our kids are, are, are doing that to one another all the time. And you've got to realize that, you know, when you're, when you're teasing your sibling, you need to realize that that can 
turn in an instant and morph in an instant from you know, great fun to too far. And so everyone has to have self, you know, your kids need to learn self-control to be able to know when is too much. And you're going to establish your own set of rules in your house with you and your spouse on how to do this. Um, it's a, it's a, teasing is a good, though often highly tedious, opportunity to help the teased kid to understand intent and the teasing kid to keep it kind. And if you have young children, you have infinite opportunities to unravel uh, different situations on that. Um, but you're seeking kind speech in your home. Uh, so, so my two boys this, j- just this morning had an opportunity. There's this particular situation that's going on where uh, they have an opportunity. We talked through the need for one to rejoice with him who rejoices and the other to weep with, the, with him who weeps. So one of them is suffering a disappointment. One of them is not suffering that disappointment. And they actually, in kindness requires that the one who is disappointed needs to be able to rejoice with the one who is doing fine. And the one who's doing fine needs to acknowledge that his brother is suffering disappointment and be sensitive to that. So that's just a biblical principle. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Um, <laughs> Miriam, <laughs> they've done some Halloween uh, candy trading, right? I, I, Isaiah's ended up with all the chocolate. But, um, but Miriam said to one of her brothers, I don't know who, she said, will you, in kindness, <laughs> trade me a, tri- a Twix for... Nothing. <laughs> All right. Respectful speech. Respectful speech. Uh, guys, I appeal to you. Come down like... There's my connection. Come down like a ton of bricks on disrespectful speech. Give that no quarter in your home, please. Toward adults in general toward teachers, Awana leaders, foundations teachers. If your child is being disrespectful to those who are in authority over them, that must be addressed. It must be addressed. It's, it's again, training them. How are they going to relate to God who is the one to whom they all owe all honor? So, be especially watchful dads for disrespect toward mom. Right? If mom is being disrespected, that must be addressed. Because your sons will not be intimidated by mom for nearly as long as they will be intimidated of you. So you have to teach them to honor their mother. You're the one who has the heavy on that. How do you model this? Uh, how do they want you speak about those under whose authority you live? How do they hear you speak about our governing authorities, for instance? Do you speak in ways that are honorable, giving honor towards those who, to whom honor is due? You know, uh, you know, I can't remember. I can't remember the quote. The quote is, "Do these things honor the king?" Right? It's just a very simple way that you're either teaching them to respect and speak respectfully of those in authority, or not. Wives, how do you speak to them about your husband? Do you speak about them in respectful and honoring ways? True speech, pretty self-evident, right? You need, to be, you need to be on the watch for lies. 
you need to be on the watch. Uh, but you also need to be on the watch. Uh, no, I'll get into that in a second. Encouraging speech. This is a, another uh, form of kind speech. We want to cultivate them being cheerleaders for others, cheerleaders for their siblings, cheerleaders for their friends. Right? That's just a, a good, good habits to get into. Um, so those are listening, speaking. You need to teach them that not all communication mediums are created equal. Not all communication mediums are created equal, and there's a hierarchy of connectivity in different communication mediums. You know, you could, you could uh, I say in-person is on one end of the spectrum, in-person communication, voice-to-voice -voice communication, I suppose you could even include um, video chatting and things like that now, uh, where you, uh, uh, texting and messaging, and then social media blasts, right? So there's a continuum where where what is the form of communication best for understanding? Hands down. Not voice to voice. Person to person. What advantages do you have when you're communicating to someone person to person? Facial expression, body language, touch. There's all sorts of ways that that's the superior form of communication. Teach your children to value presence. Teach your children to value presence. That's why we can't, we, that's why we come together as a community, as a body. It's why it's important for us to be together. It's why we're, it was so gut-wrenching when we weren't able to be together last year. So teach them the, the value of presence. And again, phone doesn't help that. iPad doesn't help that, right? So you're seeking. So if you have anything of a, Highly tech, a, a, a tricky thing to communicate relationally. What do you reach for to work that out? If you've got a conflict going with somebody, with another brother or sister in the church, what communication uh, medium should you reach for? Not email. <laughs> Not email. You might think email because I can lay out all my thoughts. You know. What? Yeah. yeah. So my, my recommendation is you pick up this to place a phone call. Now, I know some of you hate phone calls. Some of you even put things up on your social media. Don't bother calling me. I won't answer the phone. You know, I think that's uh, something to be resisted. Now, I have gone so far as to say I understand now that there's times when I first do a text to see if it's a good time or, or whatever. But texting is not an effective communication tool for anything other than information transfer. <laughs> Emojis are not an effective substitute for voice inflection. They help. I use them. Uh, you know, uh, one smiley face is sufficient. You know, yeah. Not, not going there. Okay, so, but please, please be thoughtful in how you choose to communicate and realize that text is convenient, but it's not nuanced. It's so unnuanced. Far less so is a social media post. You know, uh, now it can be done and it can be done well. I, I once every eight months put something on Facebook. You know, uh, but it's, it's just not nuance. It's not dialogue. 
you know. Now, is it sometimes, you know, you know, are there times when I'm having a text dialogue over the course of several hours with somebody? Yes, that happens. But again, is that a substitute for conversation and, and, and presence? It's not. So we're getting, maybe as a society, maybe we're getting better at that. I'm probably better at it than I was a couple years ago um, in using text effectively. But realize that this is where your kids are. This is the only communication medium that they're using in some cases. You know, and they're not valuing their friend's, you know, th their friend's presence becomes totally unnecessary. And this is just not what you want them to see as the primary means to which human communication goes. You know, I don't know if we'll have texting in heaven, but I sure know we'll have the ministry of presence. We will see his face. He'll be with us. And we'll be with him. Right? That's, that, that's where it's at. So you want to be teaching your kids to value the communication methods that are on this side of the spectrum. All right. Use the right tool for the right job. That's all I'm saying. Don't use a saw to hammer. Don't use a screwdriver to pry as a pry bar. Okay? All right. Ability to work out conflict. Ability to work out conflict. They need to understand, they need to understand this because our culture does nothing to teach them about this. So they need to understand the hurt. They need to understand how to be honest when hurts inevitably come. They need to not just stuff it. They need to actually be willing to work it out. They need to pursue reconciliation. You need to teach them and train them how to go and talk it out. Excuse me, go and talk it out with the person, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a friend. They need to see you doing that yourself. They need to, un they need to, you need to teach them to reject unloving responses to conflict. What are some unloving responses to conflict when you've been hurt? Ignoring and stuffing, ghosting the other person, gossiping, telling everybody else about the conflict rather than the person that has offended you, and canceling the other person, all of which our culture is in. All those things, our culture promotes those as responses when you've been hurt. You need to show them that there's a more excellent way. What about when they hurt another person, when they hurt a sibling or a friend? You need to teach them to acknowledge guilt. Teach them to acknowledge that they've been in the wrong. So that's why I don't encourage just, you know, sorry. Sorry. You know, they need to be willing, they need to understand and own relational guilt. They need to be willing to name sin. This is why, why my wife a couple of weeks ago printed out, actually, the fruit of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh. And they actually walked through that. She walked through it with our kids so that she could have biblical handles to put different behaviors on. So she could call something strife. So she could call something envy. So she could call something, uh, um, uh, what's the one that she, um, pride and boasting, right? So you're using biblical language to define, to explain behavior so that they get used to realizing that these are things that, are, that the Bible actually speaks to. So when they have hurt another one, they need to acknowledge it. They need to name the sin. They need to ask for forgiveness. I think it's important when they're in a transactional situation where you're actually conduct, uh, conducting the business of apology. I think probably ideally, even though we don't do it in our home, it would be, will you forgive me? 
Now, our habit has just been the other child says, I'm sorry. The other child says, I forgive you. But forgiveness is always in the transaction. Uh, I think ideally, I wish we were doing it the other way, and it was, please forgive me. But you're acknowledging, and that sin is being forgiven, and making restitution if need be. All right, navigating disagreement. Um, you ne- uh, okay. All right. Um, I've run out of time. Uh, so let's, uh, let's assume that I'm going to be able to pick some of that up in a later time or ask me questions about it uh, afterwards. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the, the, the good... Uh, the good that there is in being related to you and relating well to one another. Thank you, thank you for creating us in this way. Uh, We pray that you'd help our children, uh, that we would help our children to, uh, to speak, to listen, to relate well to one another, to show honor. Uh, so that we can be preparing them to relate well to people for the rest of their lives and relate well to you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.